All right, so um, in our home, uh, one, of our, uh, uh, one of our children, one of our, um, uh, one of our foster children, SJ, has had a, a rough couple of weeks. And so he's four, and he's been in the uh, principal's office uh, several days in a row and uh, kicking people, grown-ups, other children. And uh, it's, been a hard, uh, it's been a hard couple of weeks. And, and uh, some, some great friends over the past few weeks have, have brought us meals and and, uh, and, and it's been really incredible of you. And, um, and a friend brought uh, a, a, a delicious uh, cream cake. And um, uh, that night that we had it, unfortunately, SJ didn't get any cake. And he wanted cake, but he had been kicking teachers and kicking other students. And Sonda said, no cake for you, okay? And so I said, you know, hey, man, uh, kids that... Uh, throw fits and, and kick people don't get cake you know cake is a privilege and so you know I'm gonna get cake because you've been throwing fits and you know maybe you'll think about that tomorrow and so the next morning rolls around and then we start off terribly and uh, and uh, and we finally you know I get him downstairs and he's he's um, he's dressed and he's he's got a better attitude and and I'm eating some cream cake for breakfast so please don't judge me and uh, and he says he says can I have some cake? Can I have a bowl of cake? And I said, man, we've already talked about this, dude. You can't get cake if you're, if you're throwing fits. And, and uh, I said, tell you what, I, I see a teachable moment about to happen. So I said, tell you what, you can't have your own bowl of cake because you've been throwing fits. I said, but tell you what, you can share my cake. And so get you a spoon. So we got him a spoon. We sat in the kitchen floor, and I'm eating cake, and he's eating cake. We're sharing a bowl. And, man, things are turning around. He, you know, he finishes the last bite of cake, and, and I said, SJ, I want you to know something. I said, that was called grace. I said, grace is when we get more than we deserve. You didn't deserve cake, but you got cake. That's called grace. And he said, what's chocolate cake called? <laughs> and Sonda just, I mean, she's just like, I'm out. You know, she's just like, she's, she's out. And man, me and SJ laughed, and he had no idea what we were laughing at, but I was laughing and crying at the same time. But the reality is, we're all, we're all like SJ, and, and we see this delicious thing called grace, and we know we need it, and we're hungry for it. We know it's the only thing that makes our salvation possible. It's the only thing that keeps our relationships with one another afloat. But we have a really hard time understanding it. And probably the most difficult for us to understand, the most difficult manifestation of God's grace, is God's grace manifested to us as forgiveness. It's hard for us to understand the grace that He extends to us in forgiving us. It's hard for us to understand or comprehend the grace He calls us to extend one another in forgiving one another. And so in this Refocus series, we've been saying that life comes into focus as we refocus on Jesus. Um, forgiveness is only possible as I set my eyes on Jesus. I only see my need for forgiveness as I set my eyes on Jesus. And I only see um, uh, and can understand uh, the calling to forgive others as I set my eyes on Jesus. And so all these one another's we've been walking through, love one another, serve one another, honor one another, bear each other's burdens, encourage each other, forgive one another. These are all the different things that love does. And today we see that love forgives 
These are not random, arbitrary practices that the New Testament calls us to, but these are reflections of God's own heart, God's own character. We are called to forgive because God in Christ has forgiven us. You are called to forgiveness because God has forgiven you. And so Jesus has created a new covenant community of forgiven forgivers. You're part of this new people that Jesus has, has created in his name, by his spirit, washed in his blood, and we're called to be a community of forgiven forgivers, people that understand that we have need of forgiveness and have found that forgiveness in Christ and that those around us uh, are in need of forgiveness as well. And so today I'd like for us to talk about some of what forgiveness is and is not, and I'd like for us to try to talk some about, um, about how the relationship between God's mercy and God's justice. And we just have a little bit of time. So obviously I'm not going to be able to say everything, but I hope that we'll wrestle with this uh, further along the way. This is something to wrestle with our whole life through. So as we think about forgiveness, think about God's forgiveness of you. Um, last week we read Psalm 32, and, it, and, and it, it, it praises God for forgiving our sins. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no uh, iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When you know and you've experienced in your life, and maybe you're experiencing now those, those seasons where we're refusing to acknowledge our need for forgiveness, and we're... We're refusing to seek God's forgiveness. We're refusing to repent. And, and all our energy is zapped. Our bones dry up. Uh, maybe we're refusing to forgive someone who has harmed us. And we're finding that our fists are clenched. And that our energy is sapped. And that our hearts have become hard. Um, and, 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 and Lewis Meads says something that you've probably heard. But it's such a beautiful and true statement. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free. And to discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. What happens when we refuse to accept God's forgiveness for us and refuse to extend God's forgiveness to others is that we find ourselves locked in a prison of resentment and despair um, and forgiveness releases us. I want to read to you uh, about this new covenant community of forgiven forgivers that has been created through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and this was the passage we began this whole series in a few weeks or months ago. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so Paul is telling us what clothing new community, new covenant people wear. So I hope this morning when you were getting dressed, I hope you didn't forget your most important articles of clothing. He says, be sure you put on this morning uh, compassionate hearts. Don't leave the house without that. Don't walk into, uh, in, in, into anywhere without kindness clothing you, humility, meekness, patience. But before Paul tells us to do anything, he reminds us who we are. He says, you're God's chosen ones. You are holy and beloved. That's your identity. He's reminding us of our identity. You're ch if you know Jesus, you're chosen by God. You're holy and beloved. That's who you are. And because that's who you are, put on every day this clothing. How do we put on this clothing? Uh, verse 13. As we constantly and regularly and daily bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Um, 
Christian community, according to Paul, is to be characterized by a willingness to release one another, a refusal to take our own vengeance, and a desire to restore each other. And, 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 and the steady practicing of forbearance and forgiveness um, is the only thing that keeps marriages or families or, 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 or our parenting, our workplaces, our church, our life group, whatever, afloat. Um, bearing with each other. You know, he, he, before he talks about forgiveness, he says bearing with one another. And so, so many things that, that destroy our relationships really fall under that category of just forbearance. Bearing with each other. Having a long fuse with one another. Um, we tend, you know, we live in an outraged culture, don't we? We live in an outraged culture. And we want to be outraged about everything except the things that really merit outrage. We tend to get outraged about things that are so silly. And yet, the true harm that's done, we have no outrage at all. Um, but so often we get outraged about some, so-and-so didn't speak to me in the hall or you didn't remember this. Or, and and, and, and we've got to ask ourselves, is this truly something damaging or do I just need to let this go? Does this fall into the category of just forbearance? And part of the hard... Time, the hard thing about discussing forgiveness is that we have a range of injuries in this room, ranging from skint knees to broken femurs, okay? Um, equivalent, you know? And so I've got a couple kids in my house that if, if a skint knee, you, get, you scream about it just like that was a broken femur, you know what I mean? And a lot of us do that. We, we lack perspective. And so we treat a, a slight or a, a small offense or somebody was careless uh, or forgot something, or, or neglected to pass a message to us, or whatever. And we treat that as if the world has come to an end, when in reality that's something that really falls under that umbrella of just bear with one another's weaknesses. Bear with one another's failings. Um, sometimes we lash out at each other in a moment, and I think about my sister and I used to love to watch the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And, uh, and he gets picked up, he's hitchhiking, it gets, you told me no more Lord of the Rings, and so this is what you get, people, okay? And so Pee-wee gets picked up by uh, uh, Large Marge, remember Large Marge? And, uh, and she says, on a night just like this, seven years ago, uh, uh, there was a garbage truck that drove off the Empire State. And she's talking, and then she just turns at Pee-wee, and her eyes bug out, and her tongue comes out, and it's like, Aah! and we do that kind of, in the moment, we got turned into large march with one another with like our families our friends there's momentary these things where it's like ah, you know and, and 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 those are things that we address that hey that wasn't cool but like i'm gonna let that go i i i, I forbear with you i understand that you are human and you're frail um and so Forbearance is bearing with differences and idiosyncrasies and weaknesses in one another and not keeping a record of those wrongs. And so many marriages and relationships, friendships end over not some huge sin, but over these daily cuts that never get acknowledged. Um, forbearance is basically just putting up with each other. And Paul, uh, Paul says, if we're going to be this kind of community, at the very minimum, we've got to put up with each other. All right. And some of us, uh, you know, again, we're like kids when it comes to daily offenses and we, and we are outraged over, 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 and, and, and there, there's not a big intervention that's needed over everything. But these daily offenses, C.S. Lewis says, forgiving these, he said this is hard. He says it's perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law. Hey, we've got the holidays coming up. It says to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. 
How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers, not forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms, he writes. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. God means what he says. So Paul doesn't end with forbearance, just putting up with one another. He, he continues to forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. So how has Christ forgiven us? Not begrudgingly, not partially, but fully. And that word for forgiveness here is actually a different word than is usually used in the Gospels, which means to send away um, the sin. But the word here is the word from the root word grace. This is this purely grace-driven forgiveness. Forgiveness is freely offered, undeserved. And in these times when real damage has been done, our model is Jesus who from the cross said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Paul elsewhere says God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. So it's the same grace that extends forgiveness to those skint knee kind of injuries. It's the same grace that extends forgiveness for those broken femur kind of injuries. But there's a whole different approach depending on whether it's a skint knee or a broken femur. If my kid has a skint knee, I'm going to slap a Band-Aid on it, rub some dirt in it, and say, get on about your business. But if my kid has a broken femur, we're going to ask for help. And this has to be addressed. And so there's things, there's harm at times that happens to you or that we do to one another that has to be addressed and confronted. Now, you can't confront and address every single slight that happens. You, you let those go. But there are cases where this isn't a skint knee, this is a broken bone. And it's got this harm has to be. And so in an outrage culture, how can we tell the difference? I'm mad about my skint knee, okay? We're going to ask a couple of questions. Will, will, will being silent about this harm damage the community? And has my or someone else's dignity been attacked, defaced, diminished, destroyed? Is this a real assault, or am I simply offended? And if your dignity has been assaulted, diminished, attacked, then we've got to ask for help, and the sin has to be confronted in order for true forgiveness and restoration to happen. So Paul gives us the scope, again, of forgiveness. He says we forgive as Christ forgives us. So let's talk about what forgiveness is and is not. I think it's easier to talk about what it's not than what it is. And one thing that forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not minimizing what happened. It's not minimizing the damage or the ugliness of sin. Let's go back to Jesus on the cross as he cries out, bloodied and beaten from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not minimizing the horror of what is happening. He's not saying no big deal. He's not pretending. He's not being passive aggressive as he's being mocked and beaten by the very people who's come to rescue and whose image they're made. He prays for pardon. He's not saying this isn't a big deal. It clearly is a very big deal. But rather than returning evil for evil, he allows evil to do its worst and he extinguishes in his unconditional love. And he doesn't offer forgiveness from the cross because he misunderstands the gravity of sin. He offers forgiveness from the cross because he and only he does understand the gravity of sin. Jesus knows the enormity of our sin because only he bore it on the cross. So our friends at Watermark uh, have, have listed some things that forgiveness is not. If you've done re-engage, you've probably encountered some of these. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You may always be tempted to hate again. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. There are cases where 
Restoration in the relationship is not possible. And reconciliation is a two-way street. It takes both people for reconciliation to happen. But forgiveness is that step towards reconciliation. Do your part and then rest. Forgiveness is not condoning the sin or the harm. It's the opposite of that. It's saying this was wrong. Only the cross of Christ can cleanse this. It's, it's not necessarily forgiveness. It's not necessarily restoration. Restoration may take a lifetime in some relationships and with some harm. Forgiveness is not an emotional decision. It is an act of the will. It's not just a feeling in your heart. It's a daily decision to purposefully commit to being driven by love, not vengeance, in every attitude and action toward the one who hurt you. So what's it look like to be forgiven forgivers? We still here? What's it look like to be forgiven forgivers? We know that we're called to forgive others, but sometimes we say, Forgiving people is hard, but the reality is forgiveness isn't just hard. Apart from Christ doing a work in your heart, forgiveness isn't hard, it's impossible. But when Christ is ruling in your heart, when you are stunned by the grace of God in Christ, when you have looked on the cross and you've seen your own need, and you've heard Jesus speak the word of forgiveness to you, it becomes hard not to extend it to others. And so again, forgiveness isn't saying it's no big deal. It's not condoning. It's not minimizing. It's the opposite. It's saying that this sin, this damage, this harm is so grotesque, so terrible, that only the cross of Christ can redeem our relationship. Forgiveness is a journey and it requires grieving. And so much of our struggle with forgiveness has to do with confusion about what forgiveness is. We try to cheapen it and we say, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, no, no harm, no foul. No big deal. I'm not mad. But you are mad. And you are resentful. And you are holding on to it. And we try to cheapen it by saying that we don't. There's no real, Lewis Smedes wrote, and hear these words. There is no real forgiving unless there is first relentless exposure and honest judgment. When we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. We look the evil full in the face. Let its horror shock and stun and enrage us. And only then do we forgive. If you're having trouble forgiving someone for a small slight or a large one, maybe what needs to happen is stop trying so hard to forgive that person and maybe kneel at the foot of the cross. And maybe part of the reason we're struggling to relinquish is because we're having a hard time receiving the forgiveness that only Christ can give us. And when you take a knee at the foot of the cross and you hear Jesus call your name and say, I forgive you. And you're stunned by that. That's going to impact how we view those around us. Christ has offered you a totally undeserved word of grace. Father, forgive them. J.C. Ryle gives five marks of a truly forgiven person. He says, forgiven, he lived in the 1800s. He says, forgiven souls hate sin. He says, if you and sin are friends, you and God are not yet reconciled. Mic drop. If you and sin are friends, you and God are not. You ever recognize forgiven people hate sin. Forgiven people love Jesus. Forgiven people are humble. Forgiven people are holy. Forgiven people are forgiving. Something that happens as we receive God's forgiveness is we want to extend it to others. And so what does this look like practically? 
Bear with me. Forbear with me a few more minutes. What does this look like practically? When we, in those situations where it's not a skint knee, it's not something I need to just move on past. It is a, a, an injury. And it needs to be addressed. Or even the circle needs to be widened. You can begin by, before we can offer the word of pardon, you have to offer the word of judgment. And that may sound foreign. But before you can extend forgiveness, you have to say what you did was wrong. If I say, Will, I forgive you for that thing you did yesterday, he's like, he's going to immediately feel accused, isn't he? Because the whole idea of forgiveness means you harmed me. You did something wrong. And so, hey, you did this. It was wrong. And I relinquish resentment towards you. Um, so this last week, there's a person not a part of our church, but a person that is a part of our family's life and, and life and, and uh, did something that, that uh, impacted my family. It was not a skid knee. It was not super severe, but it was severe enough that it had to be addressed. And, and I, I called this person up and said, look, first of all, I want you to know I'm for you and I want good things for you. I'm in your corner. Secondly, you did this. And here were the consequences of this. What you did was wrong, and it needs to never happen again. We talked about that a minute. And then third, I forgive you. This is the last time I'm ever going to bring this up. This is over. It's dealt with. But then I did something else. We fall into two pitfalls when we try to have this kind of conversation. One, we minimize it. Oh, man, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I'm not mad. But you are, right? Or we moralize. We get up on our pedestal and we start preaching. You ever putting together a project and, and, and especially men and, or maybe you're putting on a spare tire and you want to just crank it just a little tighter? I used to hate it when my dad did that. When we were in conversation and he'd say, one more thing, just in case you missed it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn it a little more. But guess who does that now? So we had a beautiful conversation. And then I had to turn it just a little more. And by the way, here's one more thing. And she was gracious. But it was unnecessary. We either minimize or we more moralize. Think about Joseph and his brothers, how they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And years later, he encounters them. But he doesn't just run up to them and say, hey, guys, it's me. He tests and he determines, is this a safe relationship? But his goal all along is restoration. And once he sees there's safety and there's repentance there, man, there's, there's reconciliation. Maybe, I don't know if you watch Saturday Night Live when you're not praying and reading your Bible, but um, a couple weeks ago, Pete Davidson um, made a comment on Weekend Update about Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw running for office. And, and uh, the comment itself was, was, was out of line, but then Davidson kind of was dismissive about, uh, about Crenshaw's war record and his injury he received in battle. And... Of course, we were outraged. Interestingly, though, we're more outraged about something a comedian on Saturday Night Live says, and we hold a comedian on Saturday Night Live to a higher standard of morality and civil discourse than we do the highest leaders in our land. Isn't that interesting? That probably isn't okay, by the way. But we were outraged, and so Crenshaw goes to Saturday Night Live the following week. And it really was a beautiful... There was comedy there, and there was jabbing one another there. But Davidson acknowledged that he was wrong. And Crenshaw looked for the gold in Davidson. 
and affirmed him. And I thought, man, if Saturday Night Live can do this, surely the bride of Christ has to find a way to do this. Myself included. So how do we understand and reconcile a God who is just and a God who is merciful? How do we reconcile a God who hates evil and whose wrath will one day be poured out on evil? How do we reconcile that with a God who's merciful and forgives? Both justice and forgiveness are rooted in God's character. There's a reason you hate evil, at least other people's evil. And that's because you're created in God's image. And God hates evil. Justice is conformity to what's right and true and fair and good. Forgiveness is releasing and relinquishing resentment over harm done to us. How do these two connect? Forgiveness doesn't take away the injustice. The injustice still happened. It's still there. But it transforms our feelings toward the injustice. When I was 16 and in trouble, I had, I had set fire to my school along with a friend. And I had done massive amounts of financial and emotional damage. I knew, I came to understand that God had forgiven me over time. I came to understand that, but I also knew that I had to face human consequences for what I had done. And so I did experience human consequences, but there was mercy even mingled in with the justice because my consequences could have been so much worse. But I knew if I was ever going to be restored to that community, I had to pay some human consequences. Forgiveness did not take away human consequences for my actions. So if you're a wife being beaten by your husband, do you forgive him? Sure, but call the police and get him out of your home. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that injustice is okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean that injustice is okay. Rachel Denhollander is an amazing young woman. She's a lawyer, a wife, and a mother. She's a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of Larry Nassar. If you're familiar with Larry Nassar, Michigan State University gymnastics doctor who has been accused of assaulting over 250 young ladies over a period of decades. Rachel was the first woman to come forward and publicly accuse Nassar. And at his trial, at the sentencing phase of his trial, she was the last of 150 survivors who spoke. And when she spoke, she referenced her Christian faith. And she released and relinquished and publicly forgave Dr. Nasser. And she asked for the harshest possible penalty for his crimes. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that injustice is okay. Forgiveness doesn't take away human consequences. In an interview, Den Hollander was asked, and I think this is such a great picture of forgiveness. She was asked, what does it mean to you that you forgive Larry Nasser? And she says, it means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and I trust God's justice whether he chooses to meet that out purely eternally or both in heaven or on earth. Her final statement um, before the court 
where she asked a question. Um, what? She asked a question. How much is a little girl worth? How much is a little girl worth? And, um, you know, Micah 6 8 calls us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Forgiven people who've encountered Christ's word of pardon care about justice more, not less. Rachel said, I can pursue justice very bitterly and angrily and never see it accomplished. Or I can pursue justice from a heart of forgiveness. Because whether or not justice is done is completely outside of how I personally respond to my abuser. There's only one place in this universe that you are going to find mercy and judgment. Mercy and justice fully and perfectly meet. And you know where that place is. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross we encounter God's justice. He doesn't wink at sin. He's not okay with evil. He takes the wrath of God upon himself. Somebody has paid. At the cross, we find God's mercy. He made a way. So what is a little girl worth? What's a little boy worth? If you're experiencing abuse or harm now, what are you worth? The gospel story tells us that you're worth the blood of the Son of God. Stretched out on a cross. Broken. And as people of the cross, we care about justice more, not less. So do justice for the poor. You can't get away from that. Seek justice for the broken. Seek justice for the voiceless for the marginalized and the weak. But love mercy. Fall in love with the grace, the covenant faithfulness of God. Pursue it not from bitterness, but from love. And walk humbly, knowing that you and I are more crooked than we could ever realize. God in His love and justice came in the person of Jesus, and He took His wrath upon Himself. And we, we experience forgiveness, not because our sin doesn't matter, but because justice has been served in the cross of Christ. So as the band comes up, I just ask you, what now? What is your next step? If you're alive and breathing, you have a next step. And maybe your next step is the very first step, and that is to acknowledge your need for Christ's forgiveness. Maybe your next step is to place your trust in Him and embrace Him as your Lord. Maybe your next step is to follow Him in baptism or to say, I want to commit to this church family. I want to be a part here. Maybe your next step is to relinquish bitterness. Make that decision of the will, even if it's for the 1,000th time, to relinquish. Maybe it's time to acknowledge harm done to you in a real way.